Morning! This is The Economy Guy by Tom Harvey. Welcome to the world of macroeconomics. And this is your window into that world. I don't give any personal financial advice. I just give information and facts as I see them. And occasionally, my opinion. I want this to be educational for yourself so you can learn to think for yourself and make your own great financial decisions. Please enjoy. Welcome. It is Sunday, May 17th, and this is The Economy Guy, coming to you with all the economic news of this last week, and there was a lot of it. Today, I'm going to be talking first about the oddball economic stuff that happens. That's kind of fun. And then what's happened in the U.S. economy, it was a big week. And then Europe, what's going on over there, very, very interesting and could affect us. Then I'm going to have a special on the virus, on uh, what I think about the virus. And then some predictions for the future. That's it for the show today. Let's get started with the indices. And there's not much to say. <clears throat> Stock market was down a little bit and uh, treasuries didn't change at all. That means that the Fed has a firm hold on interest rates and will continue. Oil was the only thing to talk about. It's up at 30 bucks, which means that now there's a lot of wells in the United States can be reopened and, uh, and start being economic. So gold was up a little bit, but you know, the gold goes up and down. So we'll see that. That's kind of good for gold. And the velocity, uh, in, not velocity, the uh, uh, VIX, the uh, fear index, I'll call it, is was uh, 32, up a little bit from last week's. It's back into its danger zone for sure. It's It says, hey, watch out. Things are happening. Stay tuned for today's sessions. Oddball news. Let's hit it. Did you know, and this is for all of those listeners in Australia, that in Queensland, Australia, there is a brewing company that is holding a promotion. It's giving away 60 kegs of beer free. Uh, They are kind of welcoming the opening up of Australia. Interesting and fun. Tyson is a uh, major food producer, and they said that hog processing in the United States is down 50%. That's big. You know, we're talking about bacon and ham and everything that comes from a pig, right? But they also said that robotics are coming to the rescue. In other words, we're going to have our pigs taken care of by robots. That means uh, less labor. And that's kind of a, an economic theme going on. There's another company in the in that area called JBS, which is the world's largest meat processor. And they're headquartered in Brazil, not the United States. Kind of interesting too, isn't it? And they're vertically integrated. They do everything from raise the uh, animal to package it and sh- distribute it, right? They do everything. So that's called vertical integration. Well, they are just purchasing a company called Scott's in New Zealand, which is a robotics company. And they are uh, going to be automating all of their plants. They're a major producer in the United States, and uh, they can do it. They have some spare capacity in uh, Brazil, so they can actually be bringing meat in from Brazil. The um, meat processing business is cutthroat, and that is a pun intended. Okay, onward here. Did you know that the number of active oil rigs in the United States has declined from the beginning when the virus started? There were about 700 of them, down to 300 more recently, showing the economics of oil, but 
based on the oil price, I suspect that number is not going to go up in the next week. Okay, how about housing? The number of mortgages to purchase houses is up, which is showing, continuing to show the strong housing market the United States has. I consider that amazing. It's really amazing. Now, mortgage rates could go lower in the future because the 10-year treasury bond, which mortgage rates have followed in the past, has gone down a percent due to the virus. But the mortgage rates haven't followed them yet. So if they do, that would be interesting. If they don't, eh. Anyway, if they if mortgage rates went down, that would continue to bolster a strong market. But mortgage forbearances, that's when someone says, I'm not going to pay you my mortgage payment. Uh, uh, they uh, And there's a law that allows people to do that. Is at 8% of all mortgages right now. It's normally less than 1%. Uh, that's very bearish for the market in the future. So watch that little thing. Now, if you're a, a mall owner and you're collecting rents, guess what? You collected about 15% of your rents in April and they're going to go down in May. Malls are a catastrophic area in the commercial uh, rental business. So uh, they're having a super hard time. Uh, here's something special I want to talk to you about. That's the velocity of money. <clears throat> this is kind of the number of times a dollar is spent during the year. <clears throat> the number of times. So if it's spent three times, the velocity of money would be three. And it's the average dollar. So there's a. this is a, an equation, actually. It's related to GDP and the amount of money, dollars, that are out there. Well, it's going down. It, uh, the velocity of money was 1.5 pre-virus, and it's now 1.1. That's a dramatic fall. That means that there's uh, less spending and more dollars. Those are both hitting it simultaneously, driving that ratio down of the velocity of money. It signals, when you have this kind of thing, a deflation and a de depression. That's it. So it's another signal. Those who want to study it should go study velocity of money. I consider it a very interesting indicator uh, and, uh, and fun to play with. Well, that's it for the oddball stuff today. And we'll be moving right on to the U.S. economy next. indicators. There were four very important indicators that were announced this last week. And let's go through them. The first one was retail sales. They were down 16.4% in April. Now that is, may not sound like a lot, but it is massive. Uh, as part of that, clothing sales went down 78.8% in April. Isn't that interesting? As, and, and as part of that, let's look at what the ramification of it is. We have <clears throat> Chapter 11 bankruptcy for Neiman Marcus. Those are for the Neemies that are out there. Beals stores, uh, Goldman's, and JCPenney just announced today they're going to Chapter 11 again. So they've done that a couple times in the past. They enjoy it. So that's all restructuring, and they'll be selling their inventories, and there could be some bargains out there if you're in the right place at the right time. So good luck to you. The second indicator was factory output. How much were factories producing? That was down 13.9% in April. Major, major fall. The third indicator was the CPI. That's the Inflation Index, Consumer Price Index, CPI. That was down 0.8%. Remember, the Fed wants it to be around plus 2%. This is minus 0.8%. 
That is deflationary. That means your money is going further on average. But as part of that indicator, the food prices are going up. They, they're so, you know, you know, you know, because you're buying it, that food costs more today, right? Okay. But that decline of minus 0.8% was the biggest decline since 1957. So sort of a red flag, at least a pink flag, pink flag on the field. Okay, here we go. The fourth and last indicator is the one we're used to. That's the number of unemployment claims. That was 2.9 million this last week. Meaning, making a total, and we're getting kind of tired of this one, aren't we? Making a total now of 36.5 million people out of work. Oh my goodness gracious. And it is worse than you think, because there's another index that was kind of added, and that says people that are moving from being employed to not in the workforce. Consider someone who is retired, but there's a lot of other reasons for moving in that category. But they come out of the workforce. Well, there's uh, about 5 million more people that have done that. So it's worse than you think. It's worse than you think. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, so the virus is having it, its effect. Um, okay, the uh, Fed is, oh, this is a good one. The Fed is starting to purchase ETFs, electronic traded funds. An ETF kind of represents something else. So, uh, a good example is a gold ETF. It's called GLD. Uh, when someone buys that ETF, the company who runs that ETF goes out and buys that amount of gold, that much money's worth of gold that day. And so they back that ETF. If you, The Fed is buying share-backed ETFs. This is the first time the Fed has ever bought shares. They're actually not buying them themselves because it's illegal for the Fed to buy shares. They're having the Treasury do it. So they're giving the money to the Treasury. Treasury's giving them an IOU. Treasury's using an outside firm called Black uh, Blackstone, I think it is. Blackstone, Blackrock, whatever it is. Um, and uh, they are buying the ETF. So billions of dollars are going into ETFs. The ETFs uh, company would then go and purchase the underlying shares. That is a purchase of shares that keeps the stock market up. That is one of the pressures on the stock market today. The Fed, for the first time ever, is buying, buying. And it started this last Monday for the first time. At first time ever. This is a red flag. This is not a pink flag. This is a red flag. <sighs> Okay, uh, another little thing to see is that, hey, there's been a surge in government bond sales. And when I say government, I don't mean necessarily the federal government, government because the biggest seller of bonds is uh, local governments. And Goldman Sachs is predicting that <clears throat> the second quarter GDP is going to be down to minus 39%. That's, they used to say 34 though, so they're coming out with worst numbers. Kind of interesting to see what Goldman Sachs, they should know what's going on somewhat. I'll be right back with the European news. On in Europe. Woohoo, boy. Did you know that three churches per day are being vandalized in France? And that's been true for the last two years. So nothing to do with virus, but uh, an indication of what's going on from a social viewpoint. Um... In the UK now, household spending, and this is, is caused by the virus, is down 50%. It's about half of normal. That's what household spending is doing in the UK. But, here's the fun part, alcohol and tobacco is up 20%. Woohoo! Yeah, there's a lot of parties going on. Okay, well anyway, they're human, aren't they? 
Speaking of human, let's talk about the German High Court. That's their top court. That's similar to the U.S. Supreme Court. Has ruled that the EU, via the European Central Bank, it, when they buy bonds of nations, it is illegal according to German law. That is a ruling. Okay. But the EU doesn't care because they have their own court, the European court, and it trumps the uh, German court uh, according to uh, the EU laws. Uh, so they're going to go ahead and do it, and uh, Germans really can't do much about it other than say, hey, it, it breaks the German constitution. Right. Now, you see, that's a threat to the EU and the euro itself uh, because the Germans really don't want to pay for the debts of the southern nations. Think of uh, Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal. They may be making different kind of decisions than the Germans would be making economically. And uh, they, Germans don't agree with those decisions, and it's costing those countries a lot of money, and the Germans don't want to bail them out in general. So that's interesting, and that's just very similar to what uh, some U.S. states uh, don't want to pay what other U.S. states are doing in their decisions. So, I mean, human nature is human nature all around the globe. Woohoo! Isn't that fun? Okay, upward and onward. If you look at the EU and you say, what's going on there, when you boil it all down, the European Union has only two choices. They can socialize the debt, in other words, make all the nations dependent on uh, paying the debt back that they're having, no matter what the debt is used for, right? Because the EU will decide that, not the nations. Or they can break up. Those are kind of the only two decisions. You see, the... Uh, the euro, which is part of all this decision, was flawed when it was created in the first place, a little over 20 years ago. Not too long, very short-term currency right now. Um, yeah, uh, probably the one of the major currencies that is, has the biggest risk of uh, having a big problem, like disappearing. Uh, you see, the German population was never told when the euro was came out and created and given to the Germans, and it did a lot of good for the Germans, I might add, that uh, they were never told that uh, when the euro was created, it really meant that socialization had to happen during bad times. Well, that's where we are today, folks. We're in bad times. We're in the virus times. So, uh, big surprise, you know, there was a, what's fullness of truth? Not wasn't out there. Um, you see, the European nations, they're, they cheat. Yeah. Did you know that most European nations, if they tried to enter the EU today, would not qualify according to the economic conditions? That's because they all have been cheating on all the numbers that they're supposed to maintain. Uh, so Europe is uh, having its own major, major pressures that are going on now. But remember, only two choices. Socialize the debt. That's equivalent to saying a united Europe, United States of Europe. Or break up, which is what Brexit did, right? And the Italian population is kind of thinking that way, sort of, that now, too. Okay, I'll be coming back with a special on the virus. Hang in there. The news of the virus. This is a special. I'm going to step into a controversial area today. And that is, what is the number of deaths due to the virus? Um, this is probably the most important statistic that's out there regarding the virus. 
is it right, is the question. And we're going to explore that and various things about that today. Today, officially, uh, according to the uh, John Hopkins website, there are 88,754 virus deaths in the United States. The New York Times says that the deaths are underreported. And that underreported. That means that the, that number should be higher. There are other people who say it's overreported, so it should be lower. Uh, let's get, we'll step into that later. This is a major, major political football, and I'll try to stay, keep my feet out of that muck because the politics is, uh, I don't want to take too many sides, although I have my personal opinion about this. Uh, I don't want to uh, upset any of those listeners out there. You're precious to me. So, but the purpose of this is for you to think for yourself. Use your own logic. Use your own research on this issue. It is an important issue. <sighs> Do you uh, blindly believe in the uh, national health care leaders and what they're saying out there? Question. Something for you to think about. Two of them were put forward uh, during the daily presidential briefings on the virus when they were ha happening. One was a Dr. Fauci. I think he's very famous now. And the other was Dr. Burks. And, uh, and so they, they were putting forward things. But before I really jump into this, I want to express something. And that is, I want, I think we should all have a lot of compassion for the leaders of this country who have uh, led us through this, uh, this, this awful virus. Okay, that's all the governors, mayors, president, all of his advisors. They're making really tough decisions in an unknown era. Uh, they're human. They will make mistakes. Yes. So, compassion for those guys. I would not want to be in their position. Uh, let's let's talk about them a little bit. How about Dr. Fauci? He's given some really good advice on how to avoid transmission of the virus, right? I when I listen to him, it makes a lot of sense. But other people can take have to implement his recommendations, right? And it can be taken to an extreme. Uh, and people are protesting that right now, right? Uh, and, uh, and, but to give full disclosure here, Dr. Fauci, Fauci, during the AIDS crisis, this is quite a few decades back, said that two people living in the same house could transmit AIDS by sneezing, which is patently false. So he's, not, he's human. He's not perfect, right? So it's worth, worth understanding that. Also, the CDC, right? They uh, create, caused a hell of a failure that I haven't seen reported too well in the press. They decided to create their own test for the virus rather than use a proven German test. They wanted to have one made in America, right? Well, it failed when they created it. That caused a four to five week delay in our testing in the United States. Uh, you know, well, too bad. We, we lived with it. Uh, did you know that the CDC has mandated, that means you've got to do it, that any death that is uh, resembles a COVID-type death, well, death, COVID symptoms, be declared as a COVID death. Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, put that in the back of your mind. Uh, did, and also, did you know that the majority of deaths in the U.S. are in nursing homes? And the definition of a nursing home includes hospice, for those of you out there that understand that. And that 65% of people that enter a nursing home die within a, the first year. 
that's about 13,500 people per week that would die entering. And that's under normal circumstances. That's a big, big number. Uh, so the question I have for you is, how many people would have died without the virus in the same period compared to the virus? But were classified as virus deaths. Hmm. I don't know, but that's a big controversy. That's a, something for you to sort out and think about. I'll be back with more on the virus in a second. Chris, I left you with how many people have been misdiagnosed as a COVID death when they weren't. I could also say, well, that uh, would be overreporting the death rate. But also, the New York Times says it's underreported, right? Well, how many people have been underreported? If you believe that both positions have a valid state, do you think they balance each other? Do you, or do you think one side of that argument is greater than the other? Do your own research. Figure it out. Uh, it's an interesting story by far because it has big ramifications on the true answer to that question. Now... Let's talk about what happened in 1840. <laughs> I love it. There's something called Farr's Law, F-A-R-R, -R, is the name of a person, back in 1840, who came up with, <sighs> how does an epidemic play out? And all epidemics since then have played out according to Farr's Law, including this one, we might add. And what basically he says that a, an epidemic is similar to a bell curve. It starts up, starts up rapidly, peaks, it comes back down on the number of people catching that virus, and eventually it dies out. Uh, first of all, first thing is, is when, as it starts going up, it is, we're talking about a bell curve. We're, this is not exponential for those of you who are mathematically inclined out there. We are, don't have an exponential thing. People want to scare you by saying exponential. A bell curve is not exponential. It looks like it at the beginning, but it isn't. Okay, uh, what if that FARS law of a bell curve was used for predicting the models rather than the sophisticated computer models which have clearly failed us today? What if it was used? I wonder what it would have produced. It's interesting, but we've known about epidemics for a long time. That's, that's the point of that. And I'm going to leave you with this food for thought. Food for thought. This is an interesting one. In Italy, Italy had hit, got hit really bad with the virus, and they're still in a lockdown there. Um, they went back and looked at the cause of the deaths of the people that were designated as virus deaths, because I think almost everybody was in Italy. They had different rules than we do in the United States, so this is not an, an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. It's apples-to-oranges comparison. But when they did that analysis, they found out that only 12% of the people died from the virus. That means 88% died for some, something else, like, you know, whatever. Uh, kind of an interesting statistic and, and truly food for thought. So I'll be back with my wrap-up and predictions for what's coming in our future economically. are my predictions for what's happening economically to us. First of all, I want to declare you are now living in a depression today. 
you are in a depression. By anybody's definition of a depression, I don't hear anybody saying that because everybody's has positive. But if you define the word depression, you're in it. Welcome to the depression. And as a side benefit of a depression, whenever a depression happens, there are perma always permanent behavioral changes of the people in the depression. So that says there will be a new normal. We're never going back to the old normal. I think that's uh, clear from everything we've talked about in the past and everything you're seeing on out, out there right now. I also predict there's going to be a very slow recovery. We, we will not totally recover from what this disaster has been until about 2023. That's a ways out there. Uh, let's look at the other side of the coin. Let's say we're in a depression. We Everything falls down. We, we're losing jobs like crazy, right? 26 million people out employed or more, right? But let's say by the end of the year, we've gained back 13 million of those jobs, about half of them, are come back. Guess what you're going to hear all over the place? 13 million jobs were created right you know, in this fantastic, never hotter market. This is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh my God, we're growing so fast. This is the greatest thing. We're only halfway back, folks, if that's the case. So be prepared for what the news is going to say about the recovery. And the news is political, because so it could be saying two different things. Uh, okay, so how about politics. Ah, oh, let's step into this one. Did you know that history says that uh, President Trump's going to lose his election because uh, statistically speaking, whenever we have a bad, bad, bad economy like we have right now, the president does not get reelected. So take that for what it's worth, but it's out there. It's uh, that's, a, that's a fact. <coughs> okay. And a little optimism, okay, you can uh, count that American entrepreneurs are the people who are going to pull us out. We're going to come to a new normal. That means a new unknown situation in the future. It's going to be so full of opportunities that the entrepreneurs among us will look at them, grab them, and run with them. They will create the jobs and the wealth and pull us out of this. Uh, depression that we're in right now. So that is really, really good news. Necessity is the, uh, you know, you know what it is. <laughs> and we do have a necessity. So be optimistic. Here's a little statistic for you to, as to say goodbye with. Between 1830 and now, that's a long time ago, right? Did you know that a, if you wanted one hour of light, to read by at night, you had a candle, and that candle cost six hours of labor. Today, that same amount of light costs you three-tenths of a second of labor. Well, that's a little bit of optimism. Now, so that's productivity in action, and it's inflation in action, both of which are in our future. Productivity, because the world's changing really fast, and it's becoming more productive. No, no, think of artificial intelligence and robots and all that stuff. And think of inflation, and there's no getting around inflation or something worse. So that's it for today. I look forward to another great week. I hope you all have a 
fabulous week out there and enjoy it. If you, if you have a friend that you think needs uh, to listen to this, by all means, feel free to pass on the email. The more listeners, the better. Be talking to you. Bye. Thanks for joining me. And be sure to hit the subscribe button to get future podcasts. This is Tom Harvey. I'm an investor myself, not a financial advisor. So understand that nothing in this podcast should be construed as advice or a solicitation to trade in any market, and that I disclaim any responsibility from any negative effects of decisions made by people.